Zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies, where we talk about Star Trek loudly and at great length. I am your host, Kareem, joined as ever by Kim. Hello. And Ari. Hello. And today we are here to talk about uh, Season 2, Episode 5, The Apple, or as I like to call it, Steve Jobs' Final Vision Realized. (laughs) (laughs) And the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. I mean, they are taking a hidden market share. Obviously, cult is the next step. Cult was the first step, the second step, and the third step. In fact, cult has been the staircase. I just want to note that Karina is the only person at this table with an iPhone. My other one died on me. I got angry. Uh-huh. Has my iPhone died on me? No. Mm-hmm. Anyways, this is not the iPhone discussion podcast. This is a Star Trek <laughs> podcast where we're here to talk about perhaps one in a long, illustrious line of bonkers <laughs> episodes of Star Trek. Oh, bonkers. Yes, it was bonkers, but it also had... I'm not... I did not like it, Ari, so I thought that look off your face. Just so we've got that clear. <laughs> it was bonkers. I did not like it, but it did have pretty much every single hallmark of, like, a standard Star Trek episode that we've seen today. It had... Um, I actually wrote these down. Uh, you've got... Um, and you've got a plausible landing team for yeah. the most important people who really should be on that ship. Yes, that. But you've got a ticking clock with the ship in danger and the crew down on the planet. Yeah. You've got a culture that has not progressed. Yeah. Um, and Kirk thinks that's a problem. Um, you have a computer that is running things. Evil you have a computer. Yeah. You have an underground power source that can make things happen at whim. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's like... We've Which seen this, like, five times. Like, literally the plot of this episode, at least twice that I can yeah, think of. Yeah, and all of these elements have popped up, like, multiple times. Even if it's just one per episode, they're all there. It was, like, the most standard Star Trek episode I think I've ever seen. But this time, with Oompa Loompas. <laughs> so many Oompa Loompas! <laughs> Giant Oompa Loompas in sarongs. Yeah... Um, did you guys start singing the Oompa Loompa th- song, like, halfway no, through? No, but now I did. Like, I did. I, I was like, what do these guys remind? Oh! That all makes sense now. As soon as he walked on screen, I was like, that is a fucking Oompa Loompa. <laughs> I was like, this is where Charlie, like, Willy Wonka kidnapped the Oompa Loompas from this planet. That's why there's only, like, seven of them left. Oh, right. From you Gamma know, Trianguli 6? Yes. A giant machine snake god behind the chocolate factory would explain a lot about those books. And the subsequent death of the children who were actually sacrifices to their yeah. lizard god? Yeah. So let's just clarify this at the very beginning. <laughs> is that a lizard? Is it a snake? Is it a dinosaur? It's... Something reptilian, certainly. Snake lizard. Yeah, it was like a snake. There a is lizard. <laughs> it looked like a snake, but it had like rhinoceros horns. There actually is a snake. I looked this it up. There is a snake so that has snaggle tooths. Yeah, there was a lot of teeth. Um, I have a lot of questions <laughs> about the snizzle. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> who built it? Who built the snizzle? Yep. Um, was the snizzle sentient? What was the Snizzle's end game? Uh, you see, that's the other thing that makes this episode kind of terrible. Is there was no explanation. no explanation for anything. Like normally, you get some explanation of like why is this computer yeah. evil? Why yeah. are we? Ho-? There was just nothing. Yeah, no backstory. It was like the one with like it was like Return of the Archons without the backstory. The Return of the Archons also had a really interesting culture. Yeah, going I on. liked that one because it explained things, and it's like, oh, I can see how this came about. And this one, it just sort of like. 
Mm, it's a who, snake machine god. Who put this snizzle on your planet? I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand. Like, but again, or that... or did it actually create the Impudimpas to serve they... it? See, here is my problem. And Kim, this is a weird one where I'm kind of going to agree with you. Mm-hmm. Is again, it brings up the same argument of if people are enslaved by an evil computer again from multiple episodes. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an obligation to free these people from the evil computer? Now, this evil computer prevents them from... Now, on the other hand, the computer doesn't prevent them from dying. Here's the thing, though, with this this culture and the fact that we, we literally have no backstory. We don't know we no the idea. reasons behind this. Like, no. I was I was sitting there last night and I was going, well, they could be sterile and he's preserving them and this is the last of their culture. There could have been some kind of natural disaster. He, they could have been a created species and this is all he made and he's like, whatever. Like, there could be some reason. I just wanted, like, a hint. Yeah. I thought it was, like, population control and the yeah, paradise but there's, like, could only hold 12 so of them. Except that... Was that ever ex- even explored? They or? certainly seem to think that they their purpose in existing is to serve Val. Which, I mean, <laughs> the thing that makes the most sense to me, because I considered all the ones that Kim just suggested and a couple more. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, but the one that, the only one that makes sense, the only one we actually have any support for, and I'm not saying that this is like the be all end all because there's no backstory of any kind, is that because they seem to think that he completely controls the planet, completely controls well, the he ecosystem. Does. Yeah. So, I mean, that certainly could extend to having... Hmm, I need bipeds. And then just creating 12 of them Wait, to serve is he his needs. actually God? Well, I mean, it could just be a fantastically advanced AI or just a machine well, that but, was running an automatic program. And that's the thing again, is we don't actually get an explanation. Yeah, no idea. We it's don't know if it's advanced technology. We don't know if it's some sort of alien who has advanced technology. We don't technology. even get to see the machine this time. Yeah, exactly. No, it well, was we like, did see a giant paper mache monstrosity. Yeah. That, that thing was amazing. I actually really loved that just because of how ridiculous it was. The mouth opened, and there was stairs that went yeah. into it. It was like... Yeah. It was, it was like, like Indiana Jones. Yes, exactly. We didn't even stairs see... Stairs where? Yeah. Exactly! <laughs> well, they all... Some of them, they like went went in their, their baskets of fruit and came out again, so presumably no, there's something in it. No, they them in. No, they walked in, and then they came out again. They walked to the they entrance like and yeah. sliced them in. Two but they to, to get to the that. point of getting out of sight and then coming out again, so I don't know. There could be... We don't even explicitly see that it is a machine. And we that, see it... We see, like, sparks when the ship's firing on it from orbit, but that could be from a lot of things. That was part of the reason this episode, though, was so terrible, is because there was no ex- attempt to explain anything. It was like a oh, facade. Oh, Kirk explains the facts of life to these Oompa No, no, no. Kirk explains nothing. He just says, you'll keep going the way you're going, you'll figure it out. Which was the worst oh, sex talk ever. I love it. But I loved it. I will point out that Spock agrees with me. And what? he kept trying to bring up all the questions of, do we have the right to change this culture? And nobody would let him get very far in the argument, but he did bring it up. No. To be fair, it was actually McCoy this time who was like, we need to liberate these Immediately. people. Immediately. It's not fair. Humanoids. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad we have the word humanoid in the Are lexicon now. No. Do we know? Are they maybe machines or robots? We well, don't they said, know. Like, they said what, humanoid. What is, what is your definition of a humanoid? Is it just a shape? Yeah, basically. But that doesn't make any sense because it could be a robot with humanoid skin over it. It doesn't well, necessarily want the things that we want. No. If it's a robot, what does it do with its life? It doesn't die. It Which, of course, Spock points out. It doesn't out. reproduce. It isn't even alive. That's true, actually, from so, the definition of things that are alive, if it doesn't reproduce, that's one of them. The Oompa Loompas could have been robots, but there was no explanation as to what the fuck was going on. Why are they feeding the machine? It was like fuel. From what we saw. Apparently it was making biofuel out of fruit. 
Because uh-huh. when they didn't feed it, it weakened. <laughs> I don't know. It's insane. It, it makes no sense. It's a shitty episode. Let us just clarify. It's a facade you, of an episode. don't feed the paper mache snizzard, <laughs> it grows weak. Yes. Okay. And loses potency. <laughs> There was a lot of beautiful sexual metaphors in here, which I, of course, appreciate, which I think leads to why I enjoy this episode so much. Um, yeah, there's a strange, there's a lot of strange sexual tension between Chekhov and Landon. There is some sexual tension between two of the Oompa Loompas. There's some sexual tension between those flowers and Kirk. <laughs> Oh yeah, more killer oh, the flowers. Oh, keeps picking up and fondling. Oh, all episode. So here's the thing: at the beginning of an episode, a flower shoots a guy. I wrote just for the record. I did write that the flower ejaculated on him. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cam. Yeah. So the flower ejaculates all over his friend. He is dead. Murderous darts. Murderous darts that come out of a flower. Kirk proceeds to, in every scene following, yep. just pick up random flowers and shove his face into them. Yep. yep. With the hopes that they will also. Speaking of botany, why the fuck wasn't Sulu on this episode? Neither is Ahura. Neither is Ahura. It's very annoying. It's very weird that they're the two players that kind of come and go, and by weird I mean deeply suspect. (laughs) Uh, I don't know whether it's because they all they had other kind of careers going on. It may have been something to do with that they were only contracted for like nineteen of twenty-seven million episodes or whatever. Yeah, it just I feels like 27 million. I know. Yeah. It feels weird when they're not there. Especially since Sulu is a botanist and there are killer plants. Yep. Yeah. But maybe maybe that. that's why he didn't get to come, because he would derail the episode like three seconds and he's like, Captain, that flower is a murderer, we should leave immediately. So, this is an Eden metaphor. Yes. Ugh. A really so, clumsy one. Kirk is eating apples at one point, and then it finally came together to me. I was like, oh, the snake is the computer? It didn't work, though. No, it doesn't. The snake because is they end the episode by, like, freeing everybody, which I'm like, you're making them leave paradise. This is the opposite of what you, you want. You've taken the place the of the metaphor. snake. Well, they don't necessarily have to leave paradise. They just get to have sex now. So opening up a whole different set of gates. Plus, if, you know if what I mean, I'm yeah. correct, and the machine was actually in control of the entire ecosystem, they're all going to die. There are like 12 of them. It wouldn't be such a loss. Well, it's not like they can actually form a, a viable civilization with 12 people. I pity the first child born to those nitwits. Probably because that child is going to have to have sex with everyone else because the genetic pool is so small. It's also probably going to get dropped a lot. Oh, isn't enough? It's something like, it's like 200, 300, you need minimum, and then there's really complicated. There's a next gen episode where they actually go through the math with the the civilization of clones, of how many people you need. The civilization of clones when they hook them up with the civilization of Randy Irish girls. Yeah. Oh. 12, 12, 12 is not enough. No matter how careful they are. Okay, conservatively, there were 20 of them. Yeah, that's still not enough. Maybe. We, we really don't understand where these people came from. They haven't had children. They don't know how to have children. No, we don't maybe know. they can't. We even. don't know how long they've been there. We don't know where they came from. We don't know why they're being kept there. We, do, we literally know nothing. nothing about them except they're orange and they like flowers. And white face paint. Yeah, and geometrical shapes. And we don't know who built sheets. the snake computer. No, we know nothing about snake like, computer. what the hell is going on? This is not a good episode. It is not. <laughs> 
It's got all of the standard. It's like they dropped in all of the stuff that you normally find in a Star Trek episode, but didn't do any work to make it make sense this time. Yeah, it's like a it's like a cream puff without the cream inside. Okay, here it is. Is the snake Joseph Stalin? Is it a communism metaphor? Because everything is provided for them. They don't necessarily have to work or they have to serve the machines or have to serve the greater good. But they have no freedom. But, I mean... They share everything. So maybe, like, the idea of, like, early communist theory that it will be a paradise where no one will have to work, they'll share the labor. Was the Garden of Eden communism? I don't... Can you have communism with two people? No, it's collectivist. You need a bunch of people. That's well, the whole point. You do need... they, they don't even They've farm. got Adam, Eve, all the animals, and then God. And the snake. <laughs> and God. Yes. And God. God doesn't really live in the garden. No, so but he understands over- the geography. But he oversees it and manages everything. I don't think the Garden of Eden... Well, no, because there's no bosses in proper communism. So I don't think you could have... I don't think the Garden of Eden... I mean, you could probably twist it. This, I, I could buy this being one. A communism metaphor. Yeah, because he gets the word from God and they do whatever God tells them to do. Unquestioningly. Unquestioningly. <laughs> wow. That was, that was a bit tortured. And they all work together. They all live together. They don't seem to have any possessions. I just had a thought. What? Okay, so the, what are they called? The, the like, sort of managers of the founders. The gem, uh, the uh, Vorta? The Vorta, who are, were rewarded for protecting a founder way back in the depths of, you know, the darkness of yeah. the past, was rewarded for protecting a founder by being evolved into a sentient biped. Okay. So the only hint of backstory we get is from Akuda, where he tells him that the antennas that he has in his head that let him speak to Vol. Okay, that actually is evidence of it being a computer. Um, were given him to him in the dim time. That's true. There, there is some cr- sort of disaster, maybe. Or they were evolved from a lower order animal to serve Vol. Like the animals who got to be talking animals in Narnia. Yeah. Except evolved all the way up to a bi- bipedal humanoid instead of just given speech. So the snake wiggled its nose. Well, maybe something like crashed on this this planet that didn't have any sentient life on it and went, hmm, I'm damaged. I need something to help me repair myself. I need fuel, but I can't go out and get it myself. And for some reason, the easiest solution was to evolve some monkeys into humanoid shapes and give them togas. <laughs> Less than togas. It is odd because, yeah, it seems like there is some disaster. And this planet is actually terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's a garbage planet. Yeah, it is a garbage Well, it's got really nice weather, though. Yeah. Oh, well, he, he also. Defense. Because when they land, they're like, this planet has weirdly consistent weather for the entire planet, even near the poles. Like, the temperature is exactly the same everywhere. It has beautiful weather. The soil is ripe for husbandry. <laughs> That was the weirdest phrasing I've ever heard in my life. It was a very <laughs> tortured word to put in there. Yes. I, I'm sticking with this, that it that it's some kind of semi-intelligent or completely intelligent, just never for some reason actually speaks. I would have liked to actually hear Val speak, except through Akuta's antenna. Crashes on the planet, is damaged, and decided to alter the environment to keep itself alive. 
Also, I don't have a better explanation. I will admit, halfway through this episode, I stopped calling it Val and started calling it Val and just imagined a valley girl. <laughs> <laughs> it does give a hell of a stink eye. Yeah. I can't, I can't stop coming back to it. This is a crazy concept. Mm-hmm. And it makes yeah. no Not sense. to explain. Yeah. yeah. Just throw something out there and don't explain any of it. Yeah. I, not even like a throwaway line of, I don't even know how they know it's a computer. They're just like, oh yeah, it's a machine. What? Which they're like, they're inferring, but we don't actually get any proof of anything. They're just like, okay, this isn't working. Let's destroy it from orbit. So like, like the two things you get about their culture, there was a dim time and then Val, Val came. Val came. Yeah. Um, and then love and sex is like, that's forbidden. forbidden. See, that's why I thought it was population control. But then wouldn't you want more than 12 people? But I thought that the planet was perfectly attuned to be able to take on that many number of human beings. Or so humanoids. That, or humanoids, whatever. We don't know what these Oompa are about when you slice them through. That That's why it prohibited them having children, is because it could only sustain perfect life for that amount of people. I can buy that. And also it didn't want to create any more. Yeah. Again, every theory that we come up with is perfect because there's nothing to contradict us because nothing we get nothing from this episode. Nothing. Which oftentimes I don't actually care. But in this time, I would like an explanation for the giant papier-mâché snake. Yeah. yeah. And why a snake of all things? Because it's a... All right. It's a Garden of Eden metaphor. Yes, but that it's doesn't explain... It's a snake in yes. the Garden of Eden I know. Eden Except metaphor. in this case, the snake is preventing knowledge. It doesn't explain why Val thought a snake was a good idea. So what the hell no, were they he, even here for? We know nothing about Val. Why were they actually on this planet to begin with? I was unclear. Oh yeah, because someone had been there and something funky had been observed, and so they they'd were gotten like, weird readings or something. Yeah, there have been weird readings, so they were ordered to take a look. Um, they beamed down. Kirk is in green again, which I hate. I noticed that the loud uniform. It's like did it, not like it. It's like it's almost like they give him a, like a fourth color to make him stand out because he's in yes. charge. But the yellow really pops. It does. Yes. What I do like about this planet is that it is red atmosphere. I always like a good, like, back screen. Um, So they send down everyone, and then they proceed to send down everyone Everyone else. else. And almost the first thing that happens when they beam down is some guy gets darted by a flower. Before that, McCoy starts... Again, you have to remember that this is very much a pioneering metaphor because McCoy's like, I could stake out a claim here, my little slice of paradise. I don't know. This planet really just looks like it has a lot of biting bugs to me. That's true. Not my definition of paradise. But it has a constant temperature of 76 degrees, which uh, translated from American to Canadian is about 24. Mm -hmm. it's all right. It's right. nice. That's actually a good temperature. It's it's warm enough that you don't need to wear a jacket, but cool enough that you're not dying all day. That's true. And if you could set up some kind of fan system by enslaving one of the Oompa <laughs> Well, you need at least two. There's 12 of them to go around. Mm-hmm. And they start talking, of course, about the Garden of Eden. And Chekhov says this is just like Russia. The Garden of Eden was in Russia was my favorite just, part of this Just episode. outside of Moscow. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's Moscow again. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, maybe there's like new Moscow. Moscow. I mean, hell, for all we know, it actually could be 24 degrees median in Moscow in the 23rd century. Who knows? Global warming does many things. 
So, yeah. yeah, there's this spy flower. So the, 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 the flowers move. Yeah. And it's also black. Yeah. In this lush jungle full of bright colors, the black flower. Don't approach. Yeah. That's kind of like a universal symbol. For danger? Yeah. Actually, let's think about that. Black bears? Danger. <laughs> Jaguars? Danger. Hyenas? Danger. Blackberry bushes? Danger. Huh. I think we've proven a point here. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have. Go us. Hmm. So it pivots towards the security guy whose reaction is not, oh, I should really definitely get out of the way of this, is to go, whoa, and stick my face in it. Yeah. Yeah. It ejaculates all over him. Uh, Arrows of instant death, according Mm -hmm. to McCoy. Not just regular, but like super death. Yeah. Yeah. He was super dead, Jim. <laughs> now I want him to say he's super dead, Jim. <laughs> yes, Kirk puts his face in this guy's face immediately, and then starts dicking around with the flowers. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a good thing you're cute. Yeah, and then they sort of brush it off, like, oh, what a shame. Yes, and oh. then he stands up to deliver his soliloquy, which is bizarre. Did someone say paradise looked like this? The second part of that sentence seemed to be. Well, if they did, they're fired. <laughs> Which is actually a theme in this episode. Yeah. Because uh, they start heading for the village because, oh, well, no big deal. Dead guy in first five minutes of episode. It's fine. They're <laughs> heading. turn back? Yeah. Nah. Um, Spock mentions the weird underground vibrations that suggest there's something mysterious wait, underground. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> there's subsur- subsurface vibrations regularly and artificially produced the whole planet is a giant vibrator <laughs> oh god also he scotty because they have to get rid of the body right yeah mm-hmm. they call up scotty he's like uh no biggie and don't really want to worry you while i'm in charge but the antimatter pods and the seem to be affected by the electromagnetic field of the planet they happen to be draining no biggie <laughs> it's fine <laughs> have fun down there <laughs> no my other thing here is Scotty, once he finishes delivering this, he's like, so how is it? I hear it's nice. Yeah. I could go for some vacation time. And I wrote down in my book, Scotty, a man just died. <laughs> oh like, my god, that's true. Yeah. Like, angling for vacation time while he's planning to, like, beam up the guy who just died on this planet. Yeah. It's like when people read, like, terrible survival stories about people falling to, like, ice crevasses or getting lost in the desert. And they would read those stories and go... Gee, that seems like a nice place to visit. And then they also go. Oh, no. I don't understand. And that's how the circle of death continues. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, he wants to beam down to the murder planet for his vacation. Uh, Kirk says, no. (laughs) Apparently, they have come to the conclusion that they need at least one person to be in charge of the ship. (laughs) Yeah. At least one while everyone is downtown. I'm just going to assume that um, Sulu and Ahura are on a better vacation. Yeah. I would like to assume that, too, to a non-murder planet. Yes. Yeah. So, they're heading for the village, but, of course, they send two redshirts to investigate. And this really is one of By the way, the village. There's a village on this planet. That they didn't beam down to first. What else? So, this is one of the episodes that really solidifies the the stereotype of the redshirts. Yeah. Because, once you see one, you realize they are not long for this world. Yeah. Um, we'll get to the death count later, but they all go out in really exciting and different ways. No two deaths is the same. That's true. Only two of them die, though, right? Four of them die. I only got and... two! <laughs> really? There was all only three down. of them beamed down. No, there were four. And they all died. 
I only remember three. They all, all three of them died in for sure. In memoriam. Apparently, I can't for Lieutenant count. Kaplan, who died of lightning. In memoriam, <laughs> Lieutenant Mallory, who died of exploding rock. In memoriam of Lieutenant Henderoff, sure, who died via flower ejaculation. And in memoriam of Lieutenant Marble, who was beaten to death in the head via oh. rock. Oh, I forgot about him. Every single one. Oh, wow. I was not paying attention. I only got two. I also got really excited because for about 30 seconds, I thought that Lady Ensign's, or I guess she was a yeoman, I thought her name was Marple, and I got really excited. Oh, because then she would have been Miss Marple? Yeah, but no. It was a dude. such luck. Yeah, Kim, you are fired from your position of counting how many deaths there were since you missed two of them. Yeah, well, I thought somebody got struck by lightning and, like, evaporated, but then I was like, no, that sounds too stupid. (laughs) But you (laughs) saw it with your eyes. (laughs) No, I think I was writing notes in my notebook at the time, and I may have missed it. So, wait a minute. (laughs) You were writing down the guy got hit by lightning, you're like, oh, I'm gonna write this down. You look up and he's gone. No, I didn't, I couldn't tell for sure if he was gone. I thought it was just a near miss. No, Spock had a near miss with lightning. Yes. His shirt, his lightning-stained shirt, was sold off at a 1967 sci-fi convention. Nice. Yeah, I would have bought that. Yeah. Although it probably smelled really gross. So as they're, they shed two shirts, two red shirts to the left to the left to investigate, they are not coming back. (laughs) And Scotty seems to be like, hey, hey, Kirkity Kirk, there's a humanoid who's behind us. They don't mention this to anyone else on no. this landing party. They just keep it between frenzies. Yeah. Well, they do, they do a minute later. Okay, but one person is dead via yeah. ejaculatory flower. Why wouldn't you... Sh- like, Spock is really bad at sharing information. Yeah. yeah. I would just like to add that to his performance review, that he is a terrible communicator. Information like, oh, there could be something out there that could kill us, but I'm not going to tell everyone. I'm going to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. Um, my next notes here say, the lady red shirt is a bit creeped out, so Chekhov hits on her. <laughs> Are we to assume that they had a prior relationship I believe and they so. were just continuing this? That was or my impression. he saw his chance in paradise and... She seems too into him for she, this to be the first time yeah. he's hitting on her. I she think reacts as though as, as this is an established relationship. So, he doesn't just hit on her, he creeps on her. So, she's like, oh, I'm worried, there's some... In, in the way that all ladies are there to say, oh, I'm scared, yeah. I'm worried. And Chekhov, with a, what could only be described as a leer, <laughs> slithers up to her and is like, ooh, if you need to worry about anything, worry about being alone with me. I've been waiting um, to get you in a place like this for quite a long time. In front of his boss and her boss. And to his credit, Kirk is like, stop that. <laughs> Immediately. Not the time. Put your pecker in your pants. We got a job to do. It was like, that was a very Bravo Kirk moment. It was a Bravo Kirk moment. Um, We also see some quivering fake foliage. Yes, because something is still following them. They get a lot of use out of that quivering foliage. Because we go back to it a lot. It's also on this part of the walk that Spock first comes across the exploding rocks, which he picks up off the ground, turns over in his hands, rips in half, which I think was meant to be a display of his super strength, but was actually just a display of the really poorly fake styrofoam rocks. Yes. And then tosses it away so that it can explode (laughs) in a foreshadowy kind of way. This is so stupid. 
It, I love this. I love the idea of exploding rocks, like innocuous things that are normal on our planet being different on an alien planet. I love that's that's fine. However, <laughs> wouldn't the action of ripping that rock apart be enough to make it explode? I would it think so. Be, yeah, because an explosion is like atoms flying apart and their bonds coming apart. So surely ripping it in half would cause. Yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah, so Spock is dead. But this is also where dead. somebody. I think it's Kirk. So somebody says. It's the Garden of Eden with landmines. It was Kirk. <laughs> so, so good. So back up on the ship, these antimatter pods were definitely not a big deal. Don't even worry about it. Just mention it because I was doing due diligence. Oh, they're gone. They're inert. They're inert. Um, there's something coming from the village that is sucking all of their power. Sexual metaphor, definitely there. Um, another of the ejaculatory flowers starts getting up in Jim's business, but... And he just stands there. Yeah, they're all, they all, like, take a step back, look at this flower, the death flower that is black, which, as we established, is not a good color in nature. Nope. No. No. Uh, it, as it's slowly pivoting towards Kirk, almost has like a villain's mustache going. Zims towards it, and Spock shouts "Jim!" and does like a running leap, um, and he gets shot. And he shot, 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 shot. It was like jumping in front of the president to take the bullet. Yeah. It is at this point that Kirk goes, oh, okay, everything's going to shit. Second death. Not first. Second death. And calls for an emergency beam up. But of course, that's not going to work because the transporters are also down. Too late now. But I have to say, everyone looks really sexy when they're about to get transported (laughs) up. Like, they take on these, like, stances and they can't stand or they can't move, right? Because that's how the special effects are working. So they take these, like, bitching hero stances. And they're all just, like, model posing. Yeah. Yes! I really like it. Yeah. The bit that you missed is that Bones just runs over to Spock and, like, injects him with something. Yeah. Yeah. And then complains because he doesn't get up fast enough. But he does get up. He's fine. He's like, I injected him with enough of, like, Form D or whatever this medical drug is to make the whole crew to do handsprings. And then he berates Spock for being alive. I will again go on record and say, McCoy is a terrible fucking doctor. (laughs) Best faulty diagnostic techniques. It's just because he loves Spock so much. No! He was shaming him for being Vulcan. I think that was more like, uh... Like, he's glad he's alive. He doesn't want to... he cannot express his love. Yeah. Oh, no, it was terrible. Kind of like when Kirk turns to him, he goes, Oh, good thing you're alive. Do you know how much Starfleet's invested in you? Okay. (laughs) Let's go back to this. So, yes. Spock starts saying a number amount. Yeah. Of 1,002... No, 122,000... Some number. He was going to put a dollar value on his he training. Was, he was absolutely going to put a dollar value on his life. Isn't money abolished? That's not explicit in original series. Oh. Not until next gen, I think. So this is horrible because Spock is keeping a tally, a mental tally of how much his training is worth to Starfleet, which breaks my heart. Aww. It, it's really... I sort of figured he just did it absently as a matter of course. It's very mean. It's very, very sad. Very, very sad. So... So this is... The sky gets angry. 
basically. Yeah, so are we, this is Val. I'm sorry, Kim. It's Val. It's Val. It's Val, right? Yeah. The, who is controlling the sky. So mm-hmm. in a way, like, the weird little Oompa Loompas are right. He does control Control. the whole planet. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Controls the whole planet. He really is God. Or at least he can cause lightning strikes. All hail Val. All hail Val. So. And I think, I think Val is pissed off that the flower didn't manage to kill Spock. Like, how dare you not die? So is Val controlling the flowers then? I think so. That's sort of the impression that you get. Yeah, see, I think so, but since it's never really clear how much Val actually controls, it's... Like I also, I'm think, gonna assume yes. I think the flowers, yes. I also, and I think the rocks are probably the Loompas, like putting them in their path, because no, we the see. No, the didn't want to kill them. Well, I don't think they understand. They didn't understand. No, what death they was. actually get murder lessons. That's true. Yeah, but hey, hey, can you go put this rock in this specific I don't place? Think so. I just think the rocks on this planet. I think that's the thing that this this Eden is just surface Eden. That real the reality of it is is that it's a horrible death planet. It is a horrible death and planet. And even the rocks themselves want to kill people. Yep. Yes, and the angry sky kills off our second red shirt. Rest in peace, Mallory. Sure. Who did not go for cover. There was thunder and lightning yes. and it was very... Mallory, very who doesn't have the sense not to stand isolated from the group. Well, to be sure he's wearing a red shirt, he was essentially signing his own death warrant. Mm-hmm. At this point, Kirk is all like, you know what, put your goddamn phasers on. Which is going to do what against the sky? <laughs> like, I'm just wondering what the thinking was there. question. If you shot your phaser at lightning, would anything happen? No. Lightning would still be more powerful. How do we know? It's because, space lightning. Because a laser versus... Because a lightning is more powerful. We don't know. It's space lightning. We don't know that it's necessarily... Well, earth lightning would be more powerful than any kind of handheld laser. So I'm I'm pretty comfortable in this assessment. Where is Benjamin Franklin when you need him? We should just go watch that episode of the X Files about the kid who controls lightning, or the film Powder. Was that about somebody who controls lightning? Sort oh, of. Kim, never seen it. Oh, we should definitely set aside an evening for Powder. It is a terrible movie. Okay. So phasers out. We tromp on through the jungle all over flowers. Yep. Kirk. Yep. We find. Uh, actually, this I think is Mallory. So somebody else got hit with lightning because no, he Mallory or Mallory was the rock. Oh, sorry, lightning was Kaplan. Mallory's the rock. And Mallory calls back, and it's a village of grass huts. And here are the descriptive words he uses: primitive, tribal. And I wrote, "Oh, this isn't going to be racist at all." Uh, he tries to report, but they're static, and Kirk's like, "Everyone after him!" And they run off through the jungle, and Mallory Screaming, comes. Mallory. Mallory comes Mallory! running back towards them. But it was like, they were like 17 steps away from each other. He was, he was like, a little bit ahead of them. He was like them. over there behind that tree. Yeah, basically. And Mallory! he comes rushing through like some bushes and steps on an exploding rock. You go to a planet and get killed off one by one. Now Kirk starts guilt tripping himself. That's uh, weird. Spock's yeah. like, not your fault. Which it's not. This is not the time for this nonsense. It is not. But that guy's father helped him get into the academy. That's an interesting, weird detail. Yeah. That, that you would need help getting into the academy, but I guess this is I wonder if it's like the Air Force Academy like. where you need to get nominated by somebody. You might need a letter of recommendation. Because I know, I remember when Nog was applying to the academy, he needed letters of recommendation. Yeah. But that also might have been because he was from a non-Federation well, alliance world. Yeah, and also it's because he was going in for officer training, not... As an uncom. Mm. So maybe that was it. Yeah, so Kirk starts beating himself up. Wasting time. Unfortunately not beating himself off. It's a walk of paradise. This is all my fault. Oh, if only I'd paid attention to the fact that this was a giant murder planet. 
Spock basically wants to grab him and slap him back and forth, yelling, snap, ow, ow, it. There was a line that Kirk had here, and he says that the, the, why he didn't leave at the first sign of trouble, it's because I like the smell of growing things. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So Gollum is in the bushes again. And they scare it out from behind a rock. And then Kirk smokes him. Yeah. And, they, and he cries. He starts to cry. <laughs> he does. I liked this. Like, this was some interesting world. He's like... You struck me with your hand. <laughs> yeah, because the first thing Kirk says after punching him is, I won't hurt you. You struck me with your hand. Still crying. Still crying. And it's a Kuta? A Kuta, yeah. A Kuta, and he it's is... a fucking Oompa Loompa. He's an Oompa Loompa. Yeah. Just forget everything. A very tall Oompa Loompa. He's orange, white hair, big bushy eyebrows. It was an Oompa Loompa. That's a white eyeliner. I'm just... Eye stuff. I'm just going to assume that this is a crossover episode with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And Willy Wonka that. stole all those Oompa Loompas from this planet, which just explains why there's such a low population. <laughs> Agreed. That's why there's no children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <gasps> All the Oompa Loompa children are forced to do slave labor okay. and Willy Wonka's a chocolate I actually factory. have to draw a line here because I am uncomfortable even suggesting that the Oompa Loompas in that movie are children. They are way what? too creepy. Oh, in the book? In the movie. Oh, the, the first one. I don't remember the second one because I blocked it out because it was actually more disturbing than the first one. No, but lies. they were pretty disturbing. The first one is very strange. The Tim Burton one is unnecessary. Yes, As well, if anyone could, a weird. I find that all of the. I well, I find basically everything Roald Dahl ever wrote extremely traumatic. But those really? movies are even worse. Roald Dahl was great. I just find him really, really unsettling. Yeah. James and the Giant Peach I actively disgusts me. Why? I don't know. It just freaks me out the way he describes things. Is, is it the living in such like a moist environment? Moist. Well, well I think I James... Because it's like going back into the womb. I, I hate the word moist. James and the Giant word. Peach in particular, I think it's just sort of this idea of like everything is surrounded by rot and decay and ruin. It's not rot. Sort of it's underlying ripeness. everything. Mm-hmm. That's what ripeness does. And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I don't know exactly, but I feel like it has something to do with the general disregard of adults for the safety of the children under their care. To be fair, those children are terrible. They were terrible. It's but it's capitalism. just... Yeah. Yeah. But they freaked me out a lot. A lot. What about the, the Witches is bizarre. The Witches is also extremely I've disturbing. I've never actually read The Witches. That's because I didn't like the cover art. Oh, you should read The Witches. It has an ending which will... As all articles say on the internet, it will shock you. Ooh, I um I read the reread the BFG recently, and I love that. I'm really excited for the movie, but I'm mm. not sure how they're gonna do the giant speak because that was a um I I I got halfway through the book and went, oh, is this racist? I couldn't tell. Probably, so I had to it's probably. <laughs> Roll doll is racist. Oh yeah. I actually googled is the BFG racist. <laughs> <laughs> it was nothing specifically saying it was, but Roll doll was. So I'm just gonna yeah. assume it was racist. It's a safe bet. But yeah, and so, Matilda, but Matilda was good. So after Kirk finished, okay, Matilda's the exception. All the other ones freak me out. Matilda, yeah. Anyway, um, well, I don't like stories where a where either the adults are incompetent and stupid to to like to a one, and I don't like ones where the general attitude of adults is to not care for the children. No, the BFG the is the BFG is the complete opposite of that because once they're shown, I don't remember the truth, that one much. Well, that one's great. That one was always my favorite because the person who solves the problem is the Queen of England. Oh, that's <laughs> and that is like I love fictionalizations of the Queen. I thought you would like that. And she just like orders around her generals and she gets shit done, and that's it's perfect to me. Mm. Anyway, after Kirk finishes beating up the Oompa Loompa, 
He uh, only beats him once, and then the Oompa Loompa immediately... Explains. Explains. Well, I'm the eyes and the voice of Ball, and he has some kind of extended paper clip left in his ear, which he in both his an ears. antenna. Bless. Yeah. He's also his ears. interlocking squares painted on his cheeks and a, uh, a floral wrist corsage. <laughs> they all have a lot of corsages. <laughs> there is. So, uh, they're gonna take him to meet Ball in the village and all that business, at this point, Scotty is freaking out because yeah. there's a tractor beam that's going to suck the pla- suck the ship into the planet and destroy it. Yeah. In 16 hours, this is where our ticking clock starts. Mm-hmm. Always, always, always. Which, at this point, Kirk starts saying, oh, did you do this? And Scotty's like, yeah. Well, did you do this engineering thing? Yeah. <laughs> well, did you think of this engineering thing? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Because I'm the engineer. <laughs> And then Kirk says, yes, you are my chief engineer. (laughs) You know more about the ship than the men who designed it. (laughs) So then why ask him all these stupid questions, Kirk? You're wasting precious, precious minutes. Is Kirk a micromanager? Only sometimes. In this case, no. (laughs) I refuse to say. Because he's just double checking that he thought of doing this. But Scotty is a better engineer than Kirk will ever be. But Kirk does put down the ultimatum. If you don't fix this, then you're fired. <laughs> Akuda also just introduces him as the leader of the feeders of Vol, which already sounds creepy even before he takes them through the jungle and shows them the giant snake. Oh. Welcome to the jungle! Look at my giant scissor! All of these things just can be weird sexual connotations to them. Ugh. Yes! Also, yes. when we finally see the giant snake, we see... In front of the tunnel, there's the sort of the forked tongue sticking up out of the ground, and I realized it a it's a tongue. That's what those shape because there was like a half a dozen of them scattered throughout the forest, little forked tongues sort yeah. of sticking up from the and ground. It's the symbol that they make when they leave and enter, they make yeah. the shape. Oh, yeah. Okay. This... No. Okay. No. I give it more props. Yeah. I, I got the, the because they had the the weird. It's almost like a Y symbol. Yeah. Um. They have them. They have statues of that in the village, and then mm-hmm. they also when they leave, when they say goodbye to people, they make the the shape of the Y yeah. with their arms, and they say like praise be to ball or whatever. Oh, yeah. It's the forked tongue. Yeah. And Spock takes one look at it and goes, "Hmm, it's a high tech access point. The center is underground," and walks yeah. straight into a force field. <laughs> And he goes... Which is pretty funny. Boy, I don't think we've really described this snizzard enough. It was, it's a giant snake. It's a beautiful, beautiful set piece. I love it. It's, it's a lot so, of fun. Imagine, like, Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> <laughs> and then insert snake. It's a giant snake. And it, it has... Paper mache. Yeah, it's definitely it made of paper Transparently mache. made of paper mache. Yeah. And the mouth is like a door that is glowing red and it has glowing... Um, yellow and green eyes that are clearly like uh, crepe paper. Yep, uh, that mm-hmm. they shine a light through. I respect yep. this. Do you? I do. They have worked with what little they have. Give me forty-five minutes. I can make you a better snake than that. I Seven believe that you could. Sixth graders worked really hard on that, Kareem. <laughs> I should not diminish their effort. You should not. It was big. I will grant you that. Mm-hmm. I like the step. I just like the detailing of like the steps going up into the mouth and. I don't Someone know. had a lot of fun designing that. Yes. So they're like, okay, we need to talk to Val. And Akuda's like, um, he's not going to talk to you now. When he's hungry, you might be able to talk to him. He might answer. He might not. Who knows? So he takes them back to the village. And Kirk's like, great. Not like we're in a hurry or anything. No. When, when they see this giant snizzard, Spock says, ooh, 
It is a high order, a high order of workmanship. At which point I died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spock goes conservatively 30 feet in the air. Yeah, because he just walks straight into a forest field. And it's actually pretty funny. It's like a pratfall sort of thing. Because he, the camera sort of cuts to him sitting on the ground looking very surprised. Yes. And so there's a giant force field around this. Yeah. Um, and apparently Vol calls you, you don't call Vol. <laughs> and every, the people of Vol wear really ugly sandals, and lo, you shall know them from the ugliness and bulkiness of their sandals. Yeah. And the number of uh, paper flowers on wire that they're wearing. So so many fake flowers. They are so crinkly, too. Yeah. I don't know whether it was just the remastered version caught up on all that crinkle, but as they were putting on, I don't think you could have avoided the crinkle. Yeah. Couldn't they have spent a couple hundred dollars and got fresh flowers every day? A couple hundred dollars was a lot of money in the 60s, Kim. I've lost my place. That's like, (laughs) that's that's somebody's entire day's salary, probably. Because they walk into the village and the the orange, the extremely orange villagers bedeck everyone in flowers. And this is where I started thinking, oh, they're going to be a human sacrifice. They right. All, Joe versus Volcano. Yeah. They all get flower corsages on their wrists. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like, it was like literally like flower snap bracelets. <laughs> Spock is extremely uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, the girl is staring, uh, the girl Oompa Loompa is staring at Landon, checking her outfit out like, huh, so you get to cover your belly. Hmm. <laughs> So there was a thing here that I didn't understand is like Spock introduces himself and they just like laugh laugh at him and then there's no explanation about what exactly it was about him like he's like my name is Spock (laughs) that's like the funniest thing they've ever heard but no explanation as to why nope just like everything else in this goddamn episode it's because they're all hippies they're all high on the fumes of all bedecking people in flowers. They're essentially flower children with Possibly no responsibilities. The they have no bills to pay. They just live off the land, beholden to no one. Uh, the Enterprise is still in trouble, of course. That's all I wrote about. Breathe, this. Do we care about the details? No, I'm going to no. get back to some other stuff. Mm. So we're checking out the visitors. They are goddamn hippies, and Kirk looks around. And is like, "Where's the children?" And they're like, okay, okay. <laughs> and they're like, he's like, you know, little yous. At which point they're like, oh, they were all tragically kidnapped by Willy Wonka. And I was like, oh, replacements. No, we have none of that. And so Kirk, in a very like 60s roundabout oh, way, is like, do you guys have sex? And they're like, oh, no, like the holding, the touching, it is forbidden. At which point McCoy goes, there goes paradise. <laughs> <laughs> McCoy likes to screw. He, he apparently wants to bang an Oompa Loompa. Oh, God. <laughs> well, there goes someone's childhood. <laughs> but yeah, these guys are straight up jerks. Spock introduces himself and they laugh. Yeah. yeah. And then like he three times. Like, and he's like, I am very uncomfortable. And they go, ah! Okay, Back up, guys. Back off! Yeah. So they take them into one of their nicest huts with their pinkiest, glowingest fire and say, you're welcome! Um, and Bones comes back from wherever he was, inappropriately touching the villagers, since I scanned everyone thoroughly. <laughs> they're not aging. And uh, Spock basically says, their atmosphere negates the harmful event effects of their sun. That I would, does not negate no, aging. it does not. I it mean, just keeps your skin looking young and fresh. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some 
aging things would be slowed down if the radiation of the sun didn't reach you, but you would still age. Yes. Like, to some degree. It's like in the underground layers, they still age. Like, if you were a sewer person, you would still get old. Yeah. Regardless of seeing the sun or not. Again, McCoy is the worst doctor ever. He's real. This was like a really bad episode for him being like a terrible person and a terrible doctor. He does not understand anything. Like the fundamentals of biology. The fundamentals of how to talk to another person. <laughs> okay. So the orange people are on the move. Yeah. So the eyeball has a hate on for them. <laughs> yes. And here's where they have the, the time honor time tested argument of. We need to... The not... Prime Directive. Yeah, the Prime Directive. While they're crouching in the bushes like creepers watching the Oompa Loompas take baskets of yeah. fruit into Val's mouth. Like, do we we need to free these people? And Spock talks, talks about cultural relativism, that humans are a minority in this galaxy. See, I liked that. I did. And you're trying to apply human values to a non-human culture. Yeah, yeah. I love that part from Spock. It was a fabulous point. It is, and McCoy counters with, it's the right of humans to be free and unchained, to be able to grow and advance. There's been no change or progress in 10,000 years. They're both trying to argue Kirk over to their side. Yeah, and Spock says, well, it seems to be working for them, like they're happy and healthy, they don't know any better, they're serving a hunk of tin, but they seem fine. I mean, except for the fact that the giant snake is trying to crush the Enterprise. But that's... I think that if the, the giant snake had left the Enterprise alone, they would have... Yeah. They should... Would and should have just beamed back up and left these guys alone. Well, yeah. I think the Prime Directive would certainly suggest it. Well, it's it's strange because with Return of the Archons... And we're returning to Return of the Archons. Yeah. The computer was controlling them. It was also actively harming them on a regular yeah, basis. Yeah. For people who did not obey, they got killed. And this yeah. has been my argument in a couple of places where we've had this exact dilemma that if, like, no, if everybody on this planet is fine with the way things are working and no one has a problem with it, why do you have the right to go in and say, this isn't working for me, so I'm going to change your culture? Well, I mean, I think that's why they introduce the peril to the ship every time they do this storyline, because it's sort of like, well, the relativism, let's bring up the argument, but in the end we have no choice if we want to preserve our 400 and whatever people versus the 12 that we see here. They also do harp on, in all of these episodes, again, we could probably do this argument from memory at this point, that human beings have a right to progress. To the opportunity, anyway. To the opportunity of progress and freedom. That if a, if a civilization stagnates, does not grow, then it is dead. And if it's it being, has failed. If it has failed, if it's being inhibited in some way by something else, we need to remove that barrier to let them evolve naturally. Now, that is a very, like, 1960s view of what civilization should be. And that there are new well, they stages also... to civilization. And, it... and because of the... Yeah. The paternalistic view of the United States and bringing democracy to other people. They were probably also thinking of different obstacles uh, than a giant computer snake. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but that democracy was like the highest evolution of human politics and human society. Worst system there is, except for all the others. Yeah, is that you know you could go through your phases of 
Lord help me, like your tribalism or your dictatorship or your tyranny or your communism, which is essentially a, a tyranny. And then eventually, like at the top of this ladder, you'd get to democracy where everyone has the inalienable rights to freedom, happiness, blah, blah, blah. and their own fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. So with that, that view, that's the argument that they're trying to make, that these people have been stopped at one level where they where the natural progression of humankind is to evolve to democracy. Or possibly created at this level. Yeah. We don't and actually know. And that's the that's that's part of the problem with this episode is that we have no idea why they're stalled. We don't know why they're Well, it's because they're busy serving the giant scissors. Yeah, yeah, I mean we don't know the circumstances that led to this. We don't know if this is just a last ditch effort to preserve the one remaining portion of this society that's left. We, we don't, don't know we anything. We know nothing. Or if they were placed here or created here or stolen from somewhere else or whatever. It is a slightly different variation because unlike Return of the Archons or an Evil Computer or even Suicide Machine Planet where it was killing people, yeah. this machine is not actually malevolent as far as we can tell towards any of its own citizens. Nope. No, it just wants to maintain the cycle. Yeah, which again, these people seem totally fine with. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say because we don't know anything. No, and, and, and that's the other really thing frustrating. Is, is that as soon as the outsiders come to this planet, it murders one of them. Yeah. As far as we know, unless the planets are just independent agents. Yeah. I mean, the instantly starting to kill off the away team seems kind of malevolent to me. It does seem suspicious. Like, oh no, someone from the outside knows what's going on, the jig is up, I have to protect myself. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. The wizard knows that the jig is up and yeah. it has to take these people out. Which does suggest malevolence to me. That, like, there is something right. secretly harmful about this system. Right. I mean, not that it matters, because I have no problem with them destroying the Snizzard in the end, because it comes down to the numbers, as it always yeah, does. But... But, I mean, maybe it just started killing people off because it didn't want anyone to go near the last 12 people of this race and corrupt them or whatever. Well, why didn't they have the voice of all explain things then? It's not like yeah. he's not capable. Or just tell them to leave. I mean, it, it seems capable of giving fairly detailed instructions, like how to crush <laughs> someone's head with a stick. <laughs> Like, multi-step instructions. That's true. The fact that it tells them how to murder people <laughs> leads me to believe yeah. that it's not a very Like, nice it doesn't mission. start with trying to scare them off. It goes straight into, okay, we have to destroy every single one of them and their ship. Maybe yeah. murdering one person was supposed to scare them off. Because if you beam down to a planet and in the first five minutes someone dies, shouldn't you leave? Kim, if that were true, we would have no Star Trek. I don't think the Snizzard is familiar with the concept of escalation. No. So, now begins one of my favorite scenes where Yeoman Landon <laughs> oh, goes into God. and is like, F this noise! The Enterprise is going to get burned up. Why aren't you more worried than this? Yeah. At which point, Chekhov is like, mm, that sounds like sexy pillow talk to me. <laughs> Let's make out. Okay, you really need <laughs> a new noise for that. I think you also... Jumped ahead. Yeah, but we don't care about this no, scene. This no. is the really uncomfortable Nothing sex talk important. scene. Nothing no, is important. There. So they're making out at which point two of the Oopaloopas are like, No, you missed the part where Kirk oh, okay. tries to decide whether or not he has to explain how sex works yeah, that with you. That was the part I was fine with skipping because it was stupid. No, it's here. No, I want to skip to the bit where <laughs> Akuda gets instructions from the snake. Um because uh, he sort of walks up and vol and sort of stares at the snake and he goes, Okay, I understand and goes back to the village. And then we have to make out. Wait, snake. where are we? You've 
Make out skipped scene. Skipped a whole bunch of stuff. Skipped two things. We skipped the awkward sex talk in the hut, which we're skipping, and the bit where Akuda walks into the Now we're going to go back to the awkward sex talk. Yeah, I want to talk about the awkward sex talk in the hut. So, Kirk is trying to, like, suss out the situation where he's like, so... Or they're, they're actually having, like, a pep talk in the hut. Yeah. Hut talk. Because she's pacing back and forth going, okay, but there the Enterprise. Go. We're having a hut huddle. Oh, and so she's like, so, like, if one of them dies, like, falls off a cliff, they need a replacement, right? But they don't know anything about how to get one. I don't think that's the only way that the snake has of replacing people, but okay. So, so she asked the question, how is it done? At which point, Kirk, giant troll, is like, Spock, Spock, you explain that to her. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't tell if he was joking or if he actually thought she didn't understand. No, he was joking. (laughs) He was joking to make Spock uncomfortable. It was. And Spock's like, well, I guess guess it would receive instructions from the machine, much like children today do from YouTube. Yes. (laughs) And Kirk is at this point eating an apple like the snakiest snake that ever (laughs) snaked into the garden. I will make a note that I wrote in my notes, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) It is glorious. It is the greatest sex talk ever. (laughs) So the eyeball communicates and Yeoman and Chekhov consummate. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, Chekhov is so smooth in this. Making out in a clearing. He, like, comes at her from behind and does, like, back-hugging. This is the scene that sort of made me think that they have hooked up a few times before. She calls him Pav. This wasn't new. Mm-hmm. No, definitely not. And they're being, like, perved on by two <laughs> Yeah, who are watching them from the bushes like creepers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get this whole scene where they, like, the Oompa Loompas try kissing, oh which was God. slightly awkward and yet... Slightly sweet at the same time. Well, slightly more trying awkward. To, like smooth chest is trying to understand. Like, what is he gain by this? He does not dance. It does not survive. It does not gather food. <laughs> I can no, no, no. I shan't. And so they kind of try it out. And she's like, mm, it is pleasant. And then Akuda finds them. I could not stop looking at their stupid white eyeliner and the wiggity. It's very distracting. Yeah, so many wiggity wigs. Um, and Akuda finds them and yells at them. <laughs> okay, going back to their faces though, they seem like they've got the the like the cheek decorations from symbols from a VCR remote control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty like, much. The rewind, <laughs> fast forward. That would be amazing. Maybe I should start decorating myself with those symbols. <laughs> It is not a good look for anyone. So yeah, Akuda finds he's like, guys, I got a word from Val. The word is kill them while they sleep. Yeah. And they're like, what? And he proceeds to give all of the men of the village, not the women for whatever reason, um, lessons on how to crush someone's head with a stick using a purple space melon. It is a thing to do. Like feeding Val. Yeah. I love this. That It's a civilization without murder. Because it's a civilization without death. Yeah. But, and no one has really gotten angry at each other. Whoa, 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 guys. This comes back to our uh, conversation a couple of episodes about Spock, who's, who's like, if you remove emotions, there would be no crime, there would be no murder. Oh, yeah. Because it is our emotions, like lust, that drive, lust, that drive us to, uh, to crime. Oh. Very interesting. Maybe this is that 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 kind of philosophy put into practice. It is. They are a people without 
They are almost a people without emotion. Like, they don't get angry. No. But they're all very happy. So they have a baseline of being pleasantly... Being content. content. And that's not necessarily emotion. That might just be a way of being. So they don't, they don't get angry. They're not particularly jealous. Um, the only thing that happens is a physiolo- physiological response when Kirk smacks him is that yeah. he starts crying. They do have, like, expressive happiness, though, because they have reflexive laughter. So they're not emotionless. That's just being a jerk. Well, yeah, I mean, when, but... he's, when the guy's listing off things like, it's not a dance, like, they have... They Why would you dance if not for pleasure? Yeah. They they do. They have stuff to do. They've got a culture working sort of. here. Yeah. Of 12. But, yeah, it's very, very interesting. It kind of comes back to Spock's thing, that without those strong emotions... Without the extremes. That, 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 that is paradise. Mm-hmm. There's no murder. They've never had murder. They don't have lust. They don't have jealousy. Yeah. They're all happy kittens. But then, I mean, does that go back to the other thing that we've talked about a couple of times, where, you know, when Kirk gets split into two, and one is all logic and reason, and one is all the passion and emotion, that you're not a complete person. And I think kind this of... is... It kind of feeds Bones' argument, too, that this is stagnation, that this is stasis, because they have no no, no peaks, no valleys, everything is just no, a they're flat robots. line. They're essentially tools evolve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they clearly have emotions. I don't know if they do. Well, they have, they laugh, they smile. They have physiological responses to stimuli. I don't know if they have Laughter emotions. is not a physiological response. Neither is smiling. Ha, ha, ha. Maybe it's just a societal thing, like a dance that they do. But why would you dance if it wasn't for pleasure? Exercise. No. Yeah, they have to stay fit so that it can feed both. No. Laughter is triggered by a whole host of emotional and cultural things. They don't just come from nowhere. I am sticking with my theory that these guys are essentially robots. Well, I think that their culture is fairly robotic, but I don't think that they're emotionless. I think they've just had no strong enough stimuli to create strong emotions. No, they don't have hate. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, we see with the, you know, the Oompa Loompas that make out that as so, soon as they're introduced to a new concept, they're like, hey, let's try it out. Yeah. It was just so- but I think it's, it's physically pleasurable. Mm. Is it emotionally pleasurable? Mm. I would argue not. Uh, yeah. Well, they, they have fear, too. They could have been there with any other, any other Oompa Loompa and just yeah, made it just out with them. Yeah, happened to be seeing there. It's like, oh, well, let's try that. But so, that could also just be because they don't have a cultural context for what it means. And they don't feel love. They don't have a word for love. Hmm. They don't. They no, they're that? confused by the word love. Oh, okay, but I, I, that could just love, be. They don't hate. But I still think that could just be a lack of cultural context. I don't know. I and I a lack of stimulus too, with, with your thing from the negative Kirk and the positive Kirk. They don't have a negative Kirk. Yeah. Well, except for when they got in, get instructed to murder people. But that is just a thing to do, like feeding ball. Ugh. Anyway, it's just, just a thing to do. It has no emotions associated with it at all. It's just they're afraid. No, they're not. Afraid. Later on, when they keep them away from Vol, they are very afraid. They are actively afraid. They're concerned. No, they're scared. The he's shouting. Vol. He's frightened. He's saying, "Please, please, let us go to Vol." He's scared. No, he's raising his voice. He's frightened. It's like it's like a, a com- like a little computerized thing. When you put a wall in front of where it's supposed to go, it just keeps banging up against the wall. <laughs> It doesn't... I don't know. I tend to ascribe emotion to those things. No. Well, sorry, robot overlord of the future. I do not. Kareem's going to be first up against the wall. Uh, Kareem is. Uh, Kim's first, actually. I'm second. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I don't think that they necessarily are concerned that Vol is being destroyed. It's that they have their order. 
They're afraid they that their entire idea. world is about to come no, they apart. Are. They have their thing to do, and they cannot do their thing. Yeah, and they're afraid of what will happen if something happens to Vol. Strong disagree. Well, then who cares? Just kill them all. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Fine. So, anyways, yeah, they dem- they Akuda teaches them how to murder by using a melon. They do, however, have murder sticks, like custom-made murder sticks. Yeah, why don't Vol give them those, too? They are kind of forked tongue-shaped. Yeah, maybe they have, like, agricultural purposes but it looks like they are custom made murder sticks mm-hmm. yeah yeah and we have uh spock and kirk having the argument again because it just never ends not on this show it doesn't do we interfere yeah let's go to vol to talk it out vol is not interested in talking vol is interested in enlightening mm-hmm. yeah so it's that oh, yeah. spock yeah the, the people of vol have vanished yeah we also got an update from Scotty. 45 minutes till we die. Ugh. Ugh. Well, it's about that time in the episode. That's true. So, yes, the people have disappeared. Spock gets a burn, so Kirk decides to take him back to the bones, at which point they come back to the village, which is strangely uninhabited. Mm-hmm. Until... Attack! <laughs> and all the Oopaloopas come swarming out with their murder sticks. Well, the male ones, anyway. But yes, they... Was there really one? Our last red shirt. Our last red shirt. Let me switch back. Rest in peace, Marple. Beamed in the head with a murder stick. Mm-hmm. Begins an amazing choreograph fight, which I have to say, Landon. Landon kicked many asses. She kicked many asses. Very efficiently. I enjoyed that a great deal. Guys. She kicks them. Apparently, Chekhov knows karate. <laughs> yeah. Starfleet karate. Yes. Of course, these guys are... Easily defeated, but I re- I want to come back to the girl like flipping guys over her back and kneeing yeah. and kicking them. That was excellent. It was Not to mention like the roundhouse kick to the chin she gives one guy. That was, was excellent. excellent. Very carefully court blocked to make sure that she wasn't flipping her skirt at the camera. Yay! Also, <laughs> if you noticed, her skirt was longer than normal. Yeah, I did. And it was like it was looser and more twirly as opposed to more sort shorty. of fit and flare. Yeah, action skirt. It was very flattering. Mm-hmm. So Spock says, aren't you proud? They are human after all because they've learned how to kill. Thanks, Shut Spock. up, Spock. Yeah. Just like, That's not helpful. Five seconds. Back right off. Uh, Scotty calls down that the thing they were trying to try to break free didn't work. And by the way, he blew all the systems. So we're extra screwed now. And so Kirk decides that the only explanation, the only thing he's going to do now is just like shoot all the bits. So they send all the little ball feeders back, which my checkup is so, so adorable. Back in there! Back! Back! Get back there! Yeah, because... feed Val! Get back! Because <laughs> <laughs> they got them all locked in a hut, and they're like, no, no, we have to feed Val. Val wants it's us to feed him. hungers. Yeah. Please let us out. No. So they phaser Val. <laughs> From orbit. From... Why well, didn't try this in the first place? It I do not Very know. much beyond me. They phaser, and they phaser, and they phaser, and they... Twin phaser beams! Pew, yep. pew, 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 For what feels like most of my adult life. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even destroy it. It kind of spits fire a little bit. And then the they eyes short it out. Yeah. And Bella's dead. And Scotty communicates to say, Everything is awesome! And Kirk says, Fine, you're rehired. And Akuda comes out and he says, Well, Val put the fruit on the trees. And he, like, took care of us. And Kirk says, 
Well, fuck that. Take care of yourselves. Yeah, he says, you'll get work, and you'll get sex, and you'll like it. <laughs> it's an amazing speech. You'll you're figure gonna, it out. You're going to build, and you're going to think, and you're going to work for yourself. It's called freedom, and you're going to like it. And <laughs> men and women will be good to each other, and that's called love. Just go the way you're going, and you'll figure out sex. It's like the Blue Lagoon. It's like never, we're not going to teach you about birth control until your population's improved. <laughs> Twelve people are gonna have problems. Yeah, you should. This is crazy. Yeah, like that is a straight up villain speech. A little bit, yeah, yeah. And everyone's just like, ha ha ha, still to laughter. We're all going to die. No, they were pleased. When he's like, oh, just keep going the way you're going. You'll figure it out. This whole Except, thing. They're like, oh, can't wait. Except I'm pretty sure their entire ecosystem is going to crash now that there's not an evil snake computer running everything. We don't know that. That's I'm the pretty problem. Sure. We don't know that. There's 12 of them. They will definitely be dying out. Oh, they're going to die anyway. Yeah. On the other hand, they live forever? Or well, Val was or keeping them. We don't we know, don't know that. that. We know nothing. Well, something was keeping the radiation no. of the sun. This is this is what no, I the think. The atmosphere was keeping yeah. the radiation but off the sun. They, they pretty heavily lampshaded the fact in the beginning that the fact that this planet is so stable and so consistent across, that that's really weird and totally crazy. No, that was because it was a paradise. Nothing attributes that to Val. I think it was Val. Mm-mm. I think Val is innocent of this. No, I think Val created this entire planet to protect his slave labor labor force. Uh, I created this entire ecosystem. Now that the that Val is broken, turned off, dead, whatever, it's all just going to the terraforming is going to fail, and they're all going to die. We don't have enough information to say no. one way or another on any of this stuff. No, no but either way, twelve people is not enough, uh, and they're going to die out regardless. Good, definitely. Because they were insufferable. <laughs> so we go back to the ship for a quip-off, which is crazy. Spock's like, we did wrong. McCoy's like, nope. Kirk's like, hmm, who looks like Satan? You do! And then they run away. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Like, I get this was supposed to be a Garden of Eden metaphor, but it was not very good. No, because they get back on the ship and Spock's like, well, you kept mentioning the Garden of Eden and we basically threw them out of the garden. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's yeah. the thing. Because being cast as the Garden of Eden is supposed to be one of like, the worst thing that happened. No, Well, no. That's the whole point, is that it's a two-sides argument. It's like, either it's a bad thing because you were thrown out of like perfect harmony with nature and God not being mad at you, or it's because you ate the apple of knowledge and now you have knowledge. So, in fact, you want to be cast out of the Garden of Eden because otherwise... You just have to live naked in the leaves yeah. all the time and do nothing else ever. Yeah. So, in fact, actually, this metaphor is better than I yeah. credit for. Yeah, actually, because innocence is completely overrated is what I always took <laughs> away from the Garden of According Eden According to McCoy, yeah. for sure. Like, who, who the fuck wants to be innocent if it means you have to live naked on the ground and not have books? And instead, you get to eat the fruit and, you know... Get knowledge and grow and change. And I'm actually with McCoy on this one. I mean, that's why the Apple Apple logo is the Apple, right? Because you're getting knowledge and you're growing and progressing and developing. But isn't it in the Bible, isn't it supposed to be a bad thing? No, it's more like an inciting event. Yeah. It's you're supposed like, to be able to interpret it both ways. It's sin, but without sin, we wouldn't go anywhere. We'd still be stuck in a garden but and there'd be two of us. Isn't the entire point of the religion to get rid of sin? No, it's, manage it's sin. that there is absolution of your sins through the acceptance of forgiveness from Jeebus. 
And you can't live and be a complete human being without sinning, but it's okay. We'll forgive well, you at the end. Depending on which religion you are, yeah. you are already well, sinning as soon as you come yeah. out. It's mostly the douchey religions that uh, want us to have stayed in the garden, I've noticed. Well, it's that eventually through absolution, we will return to a paradise. I don't want to but live in a garden. With, with the knowledge. I mean, I like gardens. I don't want to live in the garden. Depends. Is there like a B and B in this garden? I don't think there's a library. I feel like libraries would be strongly frowned upon in the garden. Oh, they might be full of like cozy mysteries and romance novels, though. Hmm. No, romance novels would probably be sinful. <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> That's true, and you would have to be a nudist or sorry, naturalist, which is not ideal. Not I burn way too easily. Anyway, so we've come to the end of the apple. Life lesson to draw from this, Kim. Um, Kirk is the snake. <laughs> In what way, Kim? He is a delicious trouser snake, but... No. He's <laughs> just a snake. He's a snake. <laughs> I took no life lessons from this. It was terrible. Really? You learned nothing from this episode. Uh, no. Other than refreshing the lyrics to the Oompa Loompa songs. No. <laughs> Okie dokie, Ari. Uh, I think I said it already. The innocence of the garden is highly overrated. And McCoy likes to make out. He really does. Um, I think that my life lesson would be that apples and knowledge are delicious. Hmm. And Kirk eating apples is very erotic. Ew. Or whatever the hell that fruit was. It was an apple. All right, uh, Kim, although I don't trust you anymore, <laughs> how many dead? Four. Plus one, because Vol technically dies. Really? If he was ever alive. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> we just don't know. No. Usually at least we get to see a couple of gears or something. We saw nothing. Yeah. Yeah. He was essentially a volcano. I think they spent all their money on the snake paper mache. <laughs> they didn't have time to build anything else. Ugh. Uh, Ari, your count. 16 ladies. Yeah, so we were watching the last scene of the quip out, and it was remarkable. There are nine ladies during there the quip out. There are nine ladies walking yeah. around in the background. It was amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. It was like, oh, crap, we have all these female guests. Get them in right now. Every woman <laughs> in the studio right now, get over here. All in different colors, yep. not just red, but in command gold. Various ethnicities. Blue. And we also have four people of color, and three of them were ladies during the quip out. Yeah, it was... Yeah, they didn't get to talk. No, but it still counts. On screen is important. Yeah, it's like the, 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 Gina, the study that Gina Davis did yeah. about gauging how many women are actually in a crowd and we always think that there are more women than they are but in this and men think there are more women than women ever do (laughs) yes um but that was really noticeable when you're walking when you're seeing all the women walking around um to the number of men i think i mean given considering all the background characters i think we may have had an almost equal number of male and female on screen actors this episode there were a lot more dudes uh dude oompa loompas than lady oompa loompas there was a lead lady oompa loompa there were four or five lady oompa loompas none of them got to say anything no but we're counting on screen not speaking parts it's close to equal because there was only a half a dozen people in the enterprise that we actually see apart from the ladies for the oompa loompas because their hair was so terrible oh god Mm -hmm. it was so distracting 
So, Kim, performance of the episode. Um, I'm going to give it to the guy who played the head Oompa Loompa. I don't know what his name was. Keith Andes. Keith Andes. Um, and I'm giving it to him because I thought he did a really nice job of playing sort of like a very kind of innocent, naive person. Yeah. And he has like, a booming voice. Yeah. I yeah. really liked his voice. And like the when Kirk like slaps him and he gets like really upset and starts crying, I thought that was great. So <laughs> there you go. You do love to see a man in tears. All right. Performance of the episode. Um, Yeoman, what was her name? Landon? What was the actress's uh, name? That was Celeste Yardle. Sure. Her. Uh, mainly because I always just really like it when the female guest stars actively and competently kick the crap out of people. I agree. Now, Celeste Bjorns was wearing the costume worn by Grace Lee Whitney, Yoma Rand, that they edited, that they kind of um, fitted her. And she was worried that Grace Lee Whitney was going to come back and eat her costume, at which point one of the producers was like, she's never coming back. Oh Oh my god. Yikes. So awkward. Yeah, really awkward. Um, I'm also going to give it to um, Celeste. I really liked her. Yeah. Despite the fact that she had her priorities a bit in a twist. Yeah. But on the other hand, I guess that's what I would do in that situation. <laughs> aggressively hit on Chekhov? Or aggressively no. allow yourself to be hit on by Chekhov? I would aggressively allow myself to be hit on by Chekhov. <laughs> if only to distract myself from those people's hideous eye makeup. They're Ugh. dumb, wiggity wigs. Yep. Thank you.